Hi-ho, friends! It's the Zero Hour Podcast. Guess who this is? It's your co-host, Mark Fitz. Accompanied by whom? Christine Chapman, your host. Oh, good guy, Miss Molly. Uh, today, we have a friend of the podcast. Christine, would you like to do a quick intro of the gentleman? Well, first, say hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ve- Christine. Hello, Mark. Very hello, good. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Patrick Finn. You sound like you're right next door, which is great. <laughs> we love that. So um, Patrick and I met many, many years ago when I was in my early 20s and touring and working with boarding schools across the country. Did you two date? Absolutely not. He was like my big brother, and he's married to Gina, who has always worked with Pat. Shout out to Gina. Hi, Gina. Gina in the house. Gina is in the house, but downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) But we have always, like, we have always managed to connect at school about students and certainly, like, you know, at conferences where after hours we would all sort of be in groups where we might have a drink and, you know, sort of ruminate on the issues at hand. Ruminate? um, On, you know, as... As it pertained to admissions and educating kids and finding right schools and learning about new, you know, programming and all, right, all of wait, that stuff. All right, hang on. That sounds so fascinating. Um, <laughs> oh, you sound so sounds, excited. It sounds so friggin' fascinating. <laughs> but I am going to put you both on the spot. And this is not something we talked about during the, pre-pet, during the pre-jam. What's one fu- funny story about Patrick Finn from your 20s? Right. And Patrick, as she's thinking, and I'm buying her time right now by talking to you, I'm going to ask you as well at some point during this podcast to recant one funny story about Christine, maybe during drinks and you're renumering. Is that what you guys do? Ruminating. Ruminating. <laughs> Dude, I need a thesaurus and a dictionary when I hang out with Christine. Uh, well, I would, I would add to that little introduction, introductory story that Christine was... Um, I mean, we loved her. She would come to the office, and I'd say my funny story is she would bribe us with donuts every time uh, she came. We always had well. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I got Dunkin' right here, right now. Yes, it was like Dunkin'. part of like you know. I was often one of your first appointments of the morning, and mm-hmm. I was usually showing up with an international student who was interviewing. Wait, were, you pe- were you pitching, Patrick? Was that like what? What? What is the professional relationship? So okay, so Patrick, Patrick, you need to speak to to your days at Canterbury <laughs> School because you were you you spent a lifetime in admissions before transitioning into entrepreneurship to support your profession. Wait, 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 Patrick! I swear sorry. we'll let you talk. You're you're, you're the sorry, guest. I sorry. swear we will okay. let you talk. I like the eighty percent rule. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that rule is a part of my everyday life. Um, Patrick, well, well, go ahead. Yeah. No, I said what we liked about Christine was she was very positive. And though she she was maybe trying to get us to show interest in her students, but she she was very... She's passionate. Uh, very much, yeah, very much about the students. Themselves. Overly, so she, annoyingly she positive. Wouldn't, she wouldn't pitch anybody that was not appropriate. And she worked with a lot of great kids as it was. And she was so positive and fun to hang out with. That was kind of how we 
our friendship grew. So when I hear, so I'm, dude, I am, <laughs> I'm a public school kid. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, yes. I'm a, a ward of the state, as it were, right, from public schools. Mm-hmm. When, when I hear <laughs> Canterbury, like, what is, dude, I feel like I should say it like Thurston Howell. I feel like <laughs> I should have a friggin' ascot on. Dude, what is, for those who really don't know, what is the Canterbury School? Can you, can you give us an overview of, like, the prestige that even goes along with that name? Yeah, I mean, that that name actually is all over the country. You see Canterbury as a name, just as a name everywhere, in, in every town, in every city yeah. <laughs> across the U.S. Mm-hmm. But Canterbury was kind of your prototypical boarding school. Um, I, and by the way, my background was not in boarding school. I was a public school student till ninth grade, and then I went to a private yo. school. But, but you did you did go to private school, and, and you know, this would be a good space also... Um, Patrick, to educate us and and our and our listenership on the difference, like that you experienced as somebody who attended private school that was day school, where there was no boarding population, versus the the whole boarding school experience, which you basically devoted your entire adult career to. Right. Very true. Yeah, uh, I was. I think when I went from public to private school in Baltimore, yep. uh, we say Baltimore sometimes, but Baltimore. Um, it's, it's a, it was a, just a difference of numbers, solely. Yep. Like, instead of having 30 in my English class, we had seven. Um, Is it a better education, in your opinion, boarding school? It's not, a better, it's not a better education, it's a much more personal education. Which so, would mean better, kind of, well, right? It, dep- it depends. Depends on the student depends. or depends on the teacher? I guess it depends on what you consider, like, if personal is better, then then, then certainly it is. I, that's, I that's feel that point. way, but... I, I, I got another question about Canterbury <laughs> okay. and boarding schools. Do you have to be, like, an elite kid from a rich family? Or can you be a poor kid that's got a lot of brains that is bored by large group settings. Like, Christine, as you were bringing international students to Patrick, did you ever run across a kid who was, you know, uh, not as economically developed, but had the wherewithal and, and wit and brains to excel in a Canterbury so, environment? I mean, I think international is difficult because... Um, and Patrick, I'm sorry, we, we are going to get back to, to your question. No, we're not. But like the international, the international piece means often that, you know, there isn't a lot in terms of eight dollars that support international students. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Most, okay. most schools did not like you. But in answer to your question, again, not being from a boarding school background. Yep. I, I went to Canterbury with a little bit of like, what am I getting into? Yep. Um, but I found that. Um, and, and this probably changed in the 60s. I think up until the 50s, 60s, the, the person you're describing going to boarding school would probably be fair. Um, yeah. They're wealthy. They were privileged. Most of them. Probably not all of them. Most of them. A higher percentage. Um, starting in the, in the late 70s, 80s, 90s, up to the current day, it is a, uh, an amalgam of different economic uh, Students. I mean, it's just not the rich and and famous anymore. Right. And I think that's that's the great secret, and that's been going on for thirty years. Um, 
But the the real untold story of boarding schools is no one really knows. No one really knows them. I mean, it's a very small number of people that actually experience them. Yeah. A very small number of people that even know what what they are, and I'd say that's a pretty common um, fault process that people have is that they're just wealthy kids, and and today it's just not the case at all, which makes them so much better um, yeah, in terms of the education, but. Uh, so, so for those who don't know boarding schools, Patrick, right? What would you, if you were to distill the boarding school experience in like three sentences, what would you say? Like, what makes them what they are, and and what what makes you, um, look back and go, wow, I devoted my lifetime to to educating students in a really sort of niche and different environment, right? Right. It, it had to have been powerful for a guy who spent a whole lot of time <clears throat> teaching ethics while while being an admissions director and coaching and doing all of the things that one does when one works at a boarding school to say, hey, I'm not just going to do this for a couple of years after college. I'm going to dedicate my life and raise my family on these campuses, Right. Right, and I think the the value that I saw was that where, whatever background they were from, um, a good community at a boarding school values the individual as much as the community. So you see these kids coming in from all different kinds of areas, and I always felt like three or four faculty members from whatever whatever discipline, whatever mm-hmm. side of the campus they were on, would I would would guide each student. So I, I think in, you've, you're entrusting your child to really, really positive role models and yeah. people who want that child to succeed. And does that happen in a public school? I think they're overwhelmed by numbers. Yep. They can't care about the individual. Does it happen in a day school more? Yes, because the numbers are a little bit lighter. But when you're spending, you know, 15 hours a day with kids, yep. um, that's, that's really, really going to have a positive impact. And it, it doesn't, it's not completely 100%. People don't make it. People, you know, uh, have issues much like they do in the real world. Um, but I think a good, positive boarding community helps these kids with their issues. And it, it used to be, and there probably still are some boarding schools, you would know better than me, Christine, that have a, you know, one-strike policy where you make a mistake and you're gone. I think most boarding schools accepted the fact that you're going to have you're going to make mistakes and we're going to help you you know Absolutely. deal with those mistakes and Absolutely. grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that fewer and fewer schools are one strike schools only because they also understand as educators that kids grow from their mistakes, right? And that everybody Absolutely. needs to have and you know, I mean, hopefully living life is about having more than one chance, right? Absolutely. Um, and these kids in boarding school are growing up. I mean, they they did what we did in college, um, right? But they're growing up with guidance. Whereas when you go to college, you're pretty much just thrown out to the world, right? I mean, uh, who trained you to go to college? I didn't get any training. No. <laughs> I was 17 my first year of college. I have no clue. Well, that's that's no why clue. that's why in most cases our first year away at school at at college 
it's not necessarily a bust, but you're like, oh shit, I got no one watching over me. I can drink, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can, exactly. I can sleep late. I can go to parties. Yep. And a lot of kids, yep. it's like their their first semester away is like their worst it's semester. It's like a shit show. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas boarding school students, I think because they they've already gone through that growing up period to a large degree, they know who they are more than the average person coming from a day school, a public school, and they're able to breathe through that first year, a lot of them, because they know what it takes to to get their work done. They know how to make themselves budget their time, see teachers, get help when they need it. Well, they got their yayas out, like, you know. Well, well, no, I don't think it's that they've gotten their yayas out so much. I I think they're, they're able to leave home and in a structured, guided setting, be in a space where, I mean, you know, Mark, what do you say every day from one of the memes? You say, like, you know, 18 minutes a day. Is it 18 minutes a day? And it, if it, It's 100 hours a year thing. 18 minutes a day in any discipline will make you better than 95% of the people who do that discipline. So, so imagine yeah. having kids who early on in their lives are able to develop a structured schedule. Like, this is how I block my time out for, you know, homework. This is where I block my time out for self-care. Like, this is this is my quote-unquote workday, i.e. in the classroom. Suddenly, you've got kids who have that as part of the daily rhythm and potentially, and are doing it away from home yeah, and potentially yeah. have this opportunity yeah. to translate that early on. I think that's really... I mean, I think that's probably one of the values. And to learn to, I think more than anything in, in today's day and age, become self-advocates. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to share a story. I was, I was at a sneaker store yesterday because I have, like, you know, foot issues and wanted to make sure that I she's had really, comfortable shoes. She's got can, really I the word ho- can I mention the word hoka? Yes. Uh, topo <laughs> is what I ended up um, getting only because my I have these really flat, wide feet, um, and they were the only shoe that felt like super comfortable. But I'm at the sneaker store, and Celia calls me, and she says, I'm at the airport, Mom. And, and my Celia goes to a boarding school in Ohio. I'm at the airport, Mom, and I think I forgot my driver's license in the other wallet that's in my dorm room. And I'm like, oh, my God. I would have freaked out. I'd be um, like, how are you getting home? I, well, I kind of did freak out. But I said, <laughs> ultimately, I said, I'm going to look for a photo of your license. I hope they take it. I don't know what I can do to help you right now. But if we need to change your flight, you need to call me because I know there's nothing else available today. And we're going to need to make arrangements. So figure it out. And call me back. I don't think I would have been able to do that had she not been at boarding school for the last year and a, a quarter. Why? Because because she learns how to be independent and deal with I, I deal think, with adversity yes. and figure like, it out on a daily basis. She needs to figure out her life in a way where she can't be like, "Hey, mom, can you solve this yeah. problem?" Yeah. For okay. Me? No, I t- I totally get you that. Know? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Anyway. All right. So, and that's boarding school right there. And that's there. boarding school right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So apparently not just for rich, rich affluent, douchey kids, uh, but for normal kids. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. For Absolutely. Normal it's kids. for normal kids. Liars. And, you know, I think that the, one of the changes today is uh, now you're entrusting your child to these people you don't really know. Right. right. I mean, you're expecting them to be ethical and, 
and positive and great influences. They aren't always that way. But, um, you know, you let them raise your child while they're there. And I think the difference I hear today, and I've been out of boarding schools for five years, so it's not been a long time, but parents aren't trusting the teachers, the administration, the, you know, everyone else involved in their child's life when things go wrong. And I think in our day, uh, I sound like a Luddite here, in our day, if you think about going home to your parents and saying, you know, I got a C in my, on my test, on my history test, and immediately your parents call the teacher, that would never happen. They'd be like, well, you need to work harder, or you need to work smarter, yep. or, you know, figure it out yourself. So, um, I have a question about this, and then we can, we can get on to your zero hour. So, I think kids, so, I, dude, I'm an 80s kid, right? Most of us are 80s kids on this call. You might be a 70s kid, right, Patrick? Are you 70s no, kid? No, yeah. are you an 80s kid? You're an 80s kid, okay. Patrick, right? right? I'm a, I'm a 60s, 60s oh. 70s kid. Okay, say I thought so. I knew he was, you know, not in our age group. Sorry, not sorry. You like you you grew up with Saved by the Bell. I grew up with the uh, Andy Griffith show. Okay, fine. Yeah, I also grew up okay. with Arsenio Hall. Horrible. Um, so <laughs> my th- the point I'm going to make is, I think kids of today, our kids collectively, right, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, are soft. They're soft. And I think, and I'm a tech, I'm a tech advocate. I'm an early adopter. I think technology has made them more aware of shit, right, in one degree, but soft in terms of getting out there and meeting people and having conversations. Like... When my kids were younger, I would have to order the pizza. They're like, well, can we just order it online so I don't have to talk to anyone? I'm like, no, <laughs> just call them. I would have to script. We'd have to do a, a prep call for them to order pizza. So the point I'm trying to make is do prep schools toughen kids up so they're a little less soft? I, I, I think they do. I, I think they do. I think, I think they, they do. do. Yeah. I think they do. Okay. Um, you know, we all have I, my oldest or my youngest was uh did not go to boarding school and my daughters went to boarding school because i was i was there so my wife and i both worked there so that was easy they were day students at a boarding school but they got the full experience my son went to a day school i think while he was there it was fine but at home at night it's the hoodie on it's the you know how many games can i play of fifa soccer yep yep um in four hours and you know all this other (laughs) peripheral things all these other peripheral things become you know, inter, inter, they interfere with, yeah. with, with what you're doing. Whereas They're distractions. You're, school, you're, you're probably studying, you're hanging out with friends, you're, um, you know, you probably can't use the phone during study time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And uh, by the way, I was a big advocate of the cell phone on, camp, on our campus when they came out because especially for international students, I felt like, I mean, I don't think most faculty members at boarding school realize the... Uh, how hard it is for someone to come from Seoul, Korea, hmm. to boarding school in New Milford, Connecticut, yeah. hmm. and just you know, and then be treated like anybody else. Yep. Yeah, because uh, that's a that's a tough thing to do. And I always felt the cell phones when they came out would be perfect for for families going to get in touch with their kids from other countries. But I would say I'd probably would go back on that right now and say no phones ever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's my here's my question. 
Um, because we were talking about, and, and Mark brought up this idea of like soft, softness in, you know, our generation and, and maybe it's technology. And, and I agree technology probably has a lot to do with it. And, and the absence of technology or, you know, maybe more control of technology, perhaps in the boarding school or that sort of, um, intentional living learning community that is created on a boarding school campus um, takes away from the sort of potential softness that comes with depending on not having to interact with people. But in terms of the softness that comes with, um, you know, perhaps the parent calling schools and whatnot, um, in, in the event that a student is disappointed with his or her grade, what do you, you know, is, is that really a technology issue or, or do we as parents who are raising this soft generation of kids need to look society. at ourselves and say, what are we doing that we, you know, sort of are not perhaps um, equipping our kids with, you know, the, the, the kind of skills to be independent or the opportunities to figure things out on their own. Like, do you think as an educator, Pat, having seen waves of students over the years that what you're seeing is a, hey, we need to look at the way perhaps we're parenting problem? And I ask this as a parent myself who who yeah. struggles and often feels a lot of guilt because I'm not able to micromanage and really sort of be there for my kid in the way that perhaps I think some of my peer parents might be. I think you've opened up a Pandora's box there of podcasts forever, but uh, because I don't know the answer to that, really. I, I do know that our generation, unlike our parents' generation, which was standoffish probably. Yep. Um, maybe to the to a degree that wasn't healthy, um, we became very involved in our children's lives, and yep. I think it's because uh, we became taxi cab drivers to many of their activities. Yep. Um, let's face it. Uh, again, sounding like an old person, but when you got home from school in my era, you went outside and played with your friends in the neighborhood for hours until it got dark, and you came in and ate dinner and did your homework. Yep. Yep. Same. Same for my era. Dude, yep. my my yeah. dad my dad had so we lived in Long Island, we lived in a neighborhood. He had a horn connected to the side of the house <laughs> and he would blow the horn. And that's yeah. when you knew. And that's you were when we going knew to come to... home. Wow. Right. And all, e all unsupervised play. Yes. Right? Correct. Every kid in the neighborhood right. beat me up because of their horn, right? <laughs> <laughs> but and, and well, the other, Yeah, and the other thing was when the street lights went on, you came home. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And look at it today. And today uh, we're like scheduling school. play dates. Yep. I've got to take you to soccer practice. I've got to take you to ballet. I've got to take you here and there. And you're just, you're just, you know, you're, you're too involved in a way. And I think that leads to a greater uh, misinterpretation of events in your child's life. Yep. Uh, because you're too close to it. Uh, and I, I'm not, you know, why we're that way. I, I really don't really know the answer to that, but I think that's part of it. And is it a healthy thing? You know, look, I don't think all teachers are right. So if you've got a, if your child has a problem with a teacher, um, what I would say first to my children is go figure it out with them and, or go figure it out with your advisor or take the steps that you need to take. Yep. Um, I would be the last person to interfere unless it came down to where it was a situation where you really thought, thought that this was really wrong and I need to let somebody be aware of it. 
Yeah. I mean, bad things do happen in schools for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so it's good to be, you know, aware of what your children are doing, but not interfering when they can do it themselves. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's what's kind of lost today. That's interesting. Um, no, that's great advice. Or, or a great reflection that leads to advice. But we don't trust the people our children are with these days, where I think, look, when I was in third grade, I, I had a teacher. We lived about two miles from my elementary school. And a teacher asked me to stay after. She did it a couple times. Hey, Pat, can you stay after and help me, you know, clap the erasers and clean up, which I did. Was yeah. there a phone call to my parents? No. I wasn't on the bus. So what? Um, then she would drive me home. Drop me at the end of the driveway, give me a kiss on the cheek, and I'd get out. Yep. If that and if that, that ever happened today, there would be friggin' lawsuits. Yeah. There would be yeah. the police called, and exactly. you would be punished as a kid. <laughs> and the teacher would not be teaching. Yes. The teacher and, would have a mugshot. Yes. Right. The teacher would be arrested and have a mugshot sure. and okay. labeled. For sure. But 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 it wasn't an issue. No, I don't even think my parents. Even, even thought about it. You know, I think it was just, okay, I got to ride home from school with my teacher, Miss Lintigan, I still remember her name. Yep. Um, and uh, and they're like, okay, great. No, 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 different world. Clapping the erasers. What is this, Little House in a Prairie? Like, <laughs> well, little rascals? What are we talking about hey, here? I remember clapping the erasers, and clapping the erasers was like the, the treat, remember? <gasps> yeah, oh, my God, that, I got picked to clap the erasers. And you stink, you were, and you, you're all you, white from eraser dust. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's not, it's not pretty, but, um, but yeah, you were so special, special if you got to do that. Yeah. But it, I also had teachers in high school that would throw erasers at you if you fell asleep. Imagine that today. Yeah, seriously. Can you imagine? That would be crazy. Yeah. Okay, okay. I know I, we could talk about education and the transformative reality of boarding school, et cetera, but now it's time, and Mark is like, zero hour. Come on, Christine. I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm pacing. I'm pacing. Well, that may have been the best part of the show right there. So <laughs> <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Mr. Finn, you are in boarding schools, private schools, whatever you rich folks say. And and you are in admissions, <laughs> and you are the gatekeeper for, you know, students to um, apply and figure out whether they are appropriate and acceptable and admissible, et cetera. You know, I'm laughing. You know what's funny about Christine, and I'm looking at her right now? <laughs> it takes her 12 minutes to say one thing. <laughs> Dude, I can say what she just said in a half a bullet point. <laughs> Admissions, See? go. So you you jump, you jump out, and you jump into the rest of your life, right? What was that like? Did you and the missus? Well, what was it? Well, well, let's start. Let's start with what was it? Okay, so I never. So I didn't jump out. That's the interesting thing. I I simply saw a better way to do what a lot of admission people were doing in their travel. Yep. And I discovered it in Europe, going to different kinds of conferences that I felt were really valuable, affordable, uh, and a great use of time. Yep. And that, that's really the zero hour. And I, I kept coming back to the U.S. saying, I wish we could do that here. Um, and I proposed it to several people who, without me being involved, saying, look, here's a model of meetings 
between educators and education consultants that would be so much better than the way we do it. And well, I and these discussions asked, happened in bars after con- like after conference <laughs> sessions, right? Those are where so the best conversations start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, you know, I'd been doing it for ten years. I knew a lot of admissions people. I knew a lot of consultants, and um, you know, we travel around the world. And in, in the in boarding school admissions, you're like a you're a world traveler. Yeah. You're going everywhere. So going how many countries have you traveled as a result of your professional life? Have you kept count, Patrick? Uh, not especially, but I'd say probably 30 countries. That's amazing. But, you know, it's different. I tell people all the time, yes, I was in Hong Kong twice. Each of those times, it might have been two days of meetings, you know, dinners, and you're gone. You're not necessarily touring. Yeah. You're the, in a hotel. City that you're in. You're in a you go to a lot room. of places. Yeah. But, yeah, you try. I used to try to see a museum. That sounds pretty uh, bougie, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, but so almost, I, but but almost was, impossible in a schedule. Almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so um, the, the zero-hour moment was just seeing that something could be done better and then trying to get people to do it. And when they couldn't do it, I was fortunate enough to have a sister and her friend who had both been teachers, that both had young children, uh, and were free, not free because they had young children, but they had they weren't working a, a nine to fiver. Yep. And uh, asked them if they would be interested in kind of me guiding them how to do this, and they would do all the grunt work, and I would kind of be the guiding principle, guiding force, because I knew it, uh, and because I was working full time. Wait a minute, not... you had your sisters working for you? I had one of my sisters. Yep. You goddamn right. You so keep is, it in the family. Is Carrie one of your <laughs> sisters? Carrie is not one of my sisters. Carrie is my sister's neighbor. Oh, my um, God. I had no idea. See? Yeah. Yeah. And so so they started it. And, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to go around talking to people about it, like Christine. Would you do something like this if, I, if we had this? Uh, but I, I definitely tried to pitch it on other people, knowing that my life in admissions and in boarding school, you're – I hate to use the expression twenty four seven, but you are. You're on you weekends. Are, yeah. You're on. You're on trip duties and you know games and and if you teach and coach, it's a whole other layer of things. And let's not forget the fun faculty meetings five times a week. Yes. Um, so it's a lifestyle. It literally it, is a lifestyle. a lifestyle. You have to sign on to the lifestyle, right? A- absolutely. It's it's almost uh, being uh, one of the coal miners. You know, that had yeah. the company store and the company house, and you were always in debt, and they kind of owned you until you left. Okay, okay. Uh, so so School Connections is born. I, I'm, I'm coming out with the name of the, of the vision, right? School Connections mm-hmm. is born. And, and Patrick, you need, to, you need to share the model and, and how, you know, maybe one conference a year became, I don't know how many you have, but like, I always try to get to your fall conference and I was lucky enough to get to your Miami conference one year. Um, mm-hmm. It's a pretty That's cool, a it's a pretty cool reality, right? Can we go to your Singapore conference? Your Hong Kong conference? <laughs> I, I've, I've been to Singapore. It's pretty nice there. Yes. Uh, very authoritarian, but very nice. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we started with one to see how it would work. And, and where was it? That was in Baltimore. Okay. And uh, we had, I, I think, maybe 30 schools, 30 consultants. It, it's 
to describe it, I, I can describe, I've described what we do to so many people who have no clue after I've described it. The best way to say it's speed dating, yes, which I don't like, but it's 20 minutes with a consultant and an admissions director or a, a member of the admissions team, and you're talking, getting to know each other because personal relationships still matter in admissions. Yep. Um, and, um, and then you move on and we ring a bell. So that's, that's the model. But I've had longtime friends who've never seen it, and then I've been in an area where they, they stop by and they're like, oh, so this is it. I just, I just don't think it translates well to, I mean, most people don't know what education consultants are. Most people right. don't know what admissions people do. Right. Most people don't know boarding schools. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so we, we, we had a successful one. I think we did one that year. I think we did another one the next year. Um, that was even more successful, and that's kind of how it started. And then, um, again, I stayed in admissions um, throughout the early phases, and at one point I did take a year off, and I decided that I was through with boarding school and admissions. And at that point, this was, this was probably the real uh, defining moment. Yep. At that point I said, I'm going to do this full time. Yep. And I think that in itself grew the company, uh, grew what we wanted to do a lot because now you have to make a living off of it. So, um, so we had no choice but to grow. Yeah. Or I wouldn't be feeding my family. Exactly. Sending them to college, whatever. So that I think spurred us on to uh, other avenues. We we started working with therapeutic programs and. You know, that's a whole other category of school people probably don't know too much about. Yep. But um, there's hundreds and hundreds of therapeutic uh, boarding schools, wilderness programs that help all kinds of people, including young adults and children with, uh, you name it, addictions, anxiety, yep. et cetera. And uh, so we branched off into that world. And, and really today we do more therapeutic workshops than we do Okay. We do, we, we do about 14 to 15 a year. So, pa- Patrick, you have grown so much at this point in time, though, I noticed because I received a copy of a beautiful boarding school directory in the mail. And mm-hmm. I realized that it is it was the um, co-presentation of a directory um that you worked on with my professional organization with the Independent Educational Consultants Association. So I wanted to sort of plug that. And I was not at the conference in Tampa this past week, but um, because I, it's a long story, but I got injured (laughs) and I needed to just sort of chill. Um, But hope hope you're okay. I'm I'm fine. Um, It was more embarrassing than it was anything else. Um, But I noticed that you also ran like there was a school connections workshop, right? Mm-hmm. At IECA. So so not only have you, you know, sort of taken your vision, but now you're partnering with probably the largest educational consulting association out there, right? Yeah, and that that partnership has grown over the years and and actually um they 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 took our model of school connections and did that on their own. Oh, they did. Uh, and so did NATSAP, another yep. organization. They were both doing school connections on their own. How flattering and, is that, though? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, look, I took the idea and adapted it. And, yep. Um, 
and actually, I, and to my own defense, I tried to get the European organizers of these events to, to do it with me here. They just weren't interested. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so both of those organizations, NATSAP and ICA, then decided that they didn't want to do them. So would we do them for them as, as an add-on feature to their, their conferences, which we do? That's awesome. Um, and, and the booklet really grew out of um, another organization that used to do a boarding school book that went through some turmoil uh, and stopped doing it. And Mark Sclero and myself, yep. I, I kind of proposed that we, we do something like that because I think most educa- education consultants were very, uh, yeah, they, they, they appreciate the book. Yes, the book is so. great. It's a great book. What's the title of the book? It's um, it's the um, it's the boarding school's directory. It's really like something that we use as consultants. Sounds fascinating. That <laughs> I wonder. I want, I sounds want to, fascinating. I want, I want to call it Pride and Prejudice or something along that line, but that was taken. Whew. Sounds amazing. Wow. Anyway, so yeah, I, I think we're, you know, like there is a. I would say my dad was in advertising. Um. And he was always on the creative side. He ran his own agency, but he was very creative, and he would bring home these ad things and show us. And and it just struck me as something. I mean, if if I'd have had my druthers, I would have gone into advertising after college. But we were in a recession, and there were no jobs uh, for anyone. <laughs> so I went back to grad school. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there's just that creative side, and I'm not creative in the sense that I have any great skill. I just think creatively, maybe. I like, Yeah. I love brainstorming. I love, You're you are know, a problem solver. Going over ideas and just talking them out. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so yeah. So, I think anytime we see something that can be better, uh, maybe that's the way I think, is let's let's make it better. I'm a, I'm a fan of disruptors. I'm a fan of businesses that take a broken model and kind of redo it, right? Like there's so yeah. many businesses in modern technology in the last 15 years that would have existed had the predecessor or the predecessor model been broken, like taxi cabs, yeah. renting homes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what we're talking about today where, Patrick, you saw something that – Needed to be fixed. Exactly. And you're yeah. like, we can, we can do it better. Like if anyone ever says or if you ever hear anyone say, well, that's the way it's always been done, get – out of the room, like don't right. don't hang with that person. <laughs> well, right? you would have you would have really appreciated faculty meetings when uh, when you bring up an idea and and they say we did that twenty years ago, didn't work. Was, yeah, kind of well, why why can't it work now? Yeah, it was twenty years ago. Come <laughs> right, on. and so, that would drive you crazy. So that's that's really interesting because I one of my questions um, that I had sent you, you know, before we we met today was. You know, do you see yourself as an educator, as an entrepreneur, or both? But what what I wonder about is, in today's world, right, is it not necessary to be both the educator and the entrepreneur at once? Yeah, I, I If we're teaching think, kids to solve problems? I, I do think that's the case, yes. Um, and, I, and I think educator can be seen as, you know, I mean, it's a broad term. Uh, I mean... If I bet if you asked 99 teachers out of 100 or 100 teachers, 99 of them would say they like kids. Yep. Right. And that's that's what they're doing. They like kids. And I think it, it, as an educator, that's all I can say that I do. It's why I coach now. I don't really 
need to spend three months in the freezing cold coaching lacrosse. <laughs> <Yes>. But um, <laughs> but I like being around college kids. I like you know I like being around people. But but I certainly think that you have such a you can be such a positive influence on kids. Yeah. And 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 in this day and age, who knows where their you know where their thoughts lie, what they've been told, um, you know where they're coming from. So. Listen, there, there could be can, one of your kids having a podcast in 30 years from now talking about Coach Finn, right? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. and how yeah. you taught them ethics. And listen, I, I think coaching is a lot about the sport, obviously, whatever it is you're coaching. But it's also about teamwork and being a, a human being and having respect for your opponent, right? Having respect mm-hmm. for your teammates, uh, you know, my daughter plays ice hockey. I have another one who's a cheerleader, and they they both are on teams, right? Mm-hmm. And valuable, yeah. Like I think those are those are uh, soft skills, but you take those skills with you, you know, wherever you go. Like I think the most underrated quality someone has in a workforce that isn't kind of upskilled or or isn't uh, more well recognized is the ability to play well with others like figuratively mm-hmm. right play well in the sandbox mm-hmm. take direction mm-hmm. like do stuff like that go with the flow i don't think that's spoken about enough and i think part of that learning is team sports right yeah. right yeah and you've had some professional athletes on i know so they probably you know are way way more experienced than i am but i i think um as part of my self-reflection for today, I, I look back at sports when I was a child and, and in college, and I played lacrosse in college and kept playing sports my entire life. Yep. There's some really great role models, but there's also some people that, you know, really you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of growth from that. But I do think, unfortunately, I think one negative aspect of sports is um, when you when you grow up playing a lot of sports, there's really the, the sports world is pretty uh, they're pretty harsh. You're a winner or you're a loser, right? Um, in many yeah. ways, yeah. And 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 I'm talking in your own little social circle as a kid. Are you popular because you're you're a good football player? Are you popular, or are you a bad football player and you're not popular? Right. Right. I don't think it teaches us empathy. Um, or, or understanding of other kids. Like, here's what you do. You're really good at it. And I'll never forget, in my, my ninth grade year, I was at a school called Malvern Prep. Um, we moved to Philadelphia for a year. Yep. And I went to this brand-new school, didn't know anybody, Philadelphia, all places. Um, and I was pretty, you know, pretty unpopular. And I don't think popularity is is something that you should aspire to. <laughs> But you're looking for friends, right? Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And so I had this small, little eclectic group of friends. Uh, wasn't particularly happy. And then the spring season hit, and I was a ninth grader, but I was from Baltimore. I could play lacrosse. And so I made the varsity. I was started. And the first game, we played the state champions. I scored the game-winning goal in overtime. Wow. And the next day, you after they announced it, I was popular. Yeah. I was popular. Now, what did that teach me? It wasn't a good lesson. Like I was the same. I knew I was the same person that I was the day before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, you're popular, and, and really, being popular shouldn't be a goal. But mm. it certainly helps us, you know, feel better about ourselves if people like us. 
You know, um, it, 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 it's that story is interesting because the way you described it as, I was the same person the day before, and now you know about me because I scored this goal, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you know, Christine and I talk about, or I like to talk about. In the world of business, right, in LinkedIn communities and stuff like that, it is so hard to be seen, right? Mm -hmm. And all you need, not all you need, I'm being vague on purpose, is Mm -hmm. one catchy thing, one comment, one thing that is unique. And all of a sudden, your air quotes, popular. But you're like, Mm -hmm. yo, I was the same. I've always been this person, right? Mm -hmm. You're, You're just taking notice of it now. Have I always been popular and it was never like recognized? And you know, I just think it was an interesting way you described it as, hey, man, uh, it, uh, 24 hours ago, I'm still this guy, right? I'm still kind of a dork <laughs> on the inside, you know. Um, Pretty much. But, Pretty much. But now you have labeled me this, and I'll take the label because it's good for my ego, self-esteem, and, and you know, whatever else goes along with that. But, you know, I think there's a – ton of people just like you and I who are not popular but have great ideas and they just need to be heard that's all mm-hmm. agree agree and it's kind of random you know like we're, we're being very philosophical here but your life takes so many twists and turns that you're not even in control of yeah um, especially growing up I mean you're not in charge of it you're not in control of anything that you do or who influences you or where you live or what you know all that stuff is just out of your control. And then even when you can make decisions, you never know where that decision is going to take you. That's so probably true. Not the, probably not the direction you thought it would. Um, but, you know, you can't really – life is pretty random that way. That's so true. Pat, as we get ready to wind down, I have a question. And, you know, as the ethics philosopher, do you have sort of a guiding, you know, mantra philosophy – um, as as you navigate life as as a as an entrepreneur as an educator as a coach as a dad as a husband like what is that? Uh, I did think about that, so I'm glad you asked that on your question. <laughs> you know, I think the simple one is do the right thing. Just do the right thing in nice. whatever situation you're in. And you know, yes, I am from a middle class white background, so that probably means something different to me than it does to other people. But I do think there's a universal right thing. Um, and and I think... Yeah, I, you, I agree to that. A universal right thing. Be a mensch, yeah. right? As my, as my yeah. mom would say. Be a mensch. Do the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And I think that's pretty much a guiding philosophy. Like, if you can constantly think about how you... what your actions... how they impact other people and, you know what that responsibility entails. That's, that's a pretty important thing. And, you know, ethics kind of, you know, probably I picked up ethics because that was in my, in my, in my background. And, um, you know, I think truth is something that's really important. Um, and that's kind of, I had, I had this great t-shirt, uh, a friend of mine brought back from Russia and it said, truth is war's first casualty. Ooh. Yeah, and that's wow. a pretty good one, right? Yeah, and, like especially where we are in this country now. Yeah, without getting into politics, I mean, truth is the one that's it's the thing that's going out the window. Yeah, yep. it's funny. I like I, I say this a lot. I say, um, head down, work hard, be kind. Like that's mm-hmm. like my own thing. Like head down, work hard, be nice. 
Just mm-hmm. be nice. Yeah. We talk about this tip of the iceberg. Three quarters of the iceberg is underwater and you don't see it. Like yeah. Yeah. all the BS that goes on in your life. You're just seeing the happy face guy, right? There's a lot yeah. of shit we push down so we can be, so we can elevate ourselves. Just yep. Just be good. Yeah. There's a there's a another E. F. Schumacher point. He had a he had a word called, and I never heard him pronounce it. So it, it's called adequatio. It's 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 phonetically it looks like that. It could be adequatio, but it was the I the concept was you never really know what another person is thinking unless you've been through that thing themselves. Like let's yep. say Christine, you broke your foot. Yep. This weekend, and I've never broken my foot. So I can understand. I can think. Yeah. Okay. I guess I know what it's like to break your foot. But um, if I'd broken my foot, I then would totally really understand know. where you are. Yep. Yep. And, and that goes to our emotions and opinions and things like that, of course. So that you know, do you really ever know anybody? Um, you know, you have to be. You have to know yourself first, and then you have to know other people, and you have to know the world around you. Yeah. Like what's self-aware. going on around you? Yeah. Be self-aware. Yeah. Yep. Be self-aware. Self-aware. Right. Patrick. Thank you so much. Patrick Vignol. Mark, Mark, you did not talk nearly enough. Oh, what? I didn't talk nearly enough? <laughs> no. We got 10 more minutes, dude. I can keep going. <laughs> I can ramble about something. I think we'll let your audience uh, go back to bed after they listen to this. They'll want to kind of curl up and go to sleep probably after they hear this. But uh, you guys are doing a great job, and I really appreciate you having me on. And, oh, uh, Patrick, I'm thanks for being here with thank us. Thank you, Patrick. I'm definitely recommending your podcast to people. So Super duper. Well, Love and it. School Connections, folks, and Patrick Finn, educator, entrepreneur, philosopher, coach, teacher, coach. Dad. <laughs> Thank you. This is Thank the Zero all. Hour. Patrick Finn in the house. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Bye, Patrick. Patrick. Uh, Have a great Saturday. Thank you so much.